Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, June 26th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered, these tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and tap on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book provides a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself right from that page. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. 
Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. If you choose to do that, we can have a conversation. And we're grateful whenever anybody chooses to do that as well because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's far easier to do when people let us know, how is this landing for you? What's happening as we present different things, whether it's books we're reading or discussions we're having. And it's far easier for us to know how to be of service when you give us feedback on how this is landing for you. It's been a weekend, and we've ended last week doing some reading from the the book, The Mirror Theory, by way of uh, giving people what I think is a, a, a balancing perspective. Sometimes when people hear us reading from books like The Walk in the Physical or The Way of Mastery or Course in Miracles, people can get the idea that we're saying everything we do should be selfless and that's why I presented the lesson from the mirror theory on Friday because I think it's, it provides um, what Michael Rice would call a way to look at things from the perspective of being self-wise And since we are connected to everyone and everything, if we're doing something and it ends up being abusive to us or leaves us feeling resentful, one thing we can do is we can do our work to dismantle the energy, the thoughts that we're pouring energy into in our mind that are generating the resentment. And then uh, an equally valuable thing to do is to take a look at is that a useful activity or, or is it balanced enough with respect for ourselves and others for us to continue that, that activity or that relationship pattern? And hopefully that was coming through on, on Friday when I was reading that lesson from, or that chapter from the Mirror Theory book, and it was on uh, Mariah, the sister who was, it's titled The Reflective Sister, but she's the sister who was really, really good at cooking, and everybody wanted to eat her food, but nobody wanted to help her by providing groceries or helping with cleanup or helping with preparation, and she ended up growing in resentment and her teacher helped her understand at that point the teacher was Jesus or Yeshua, her brother, that helped her understand, you know what, this really isn't useful. Well, if you, you end up in a habit, in a pattern with somebody else, in a relationship, if you will, 
that leaves you feeling abused and misused you're probably better off changing your part of that pattern than continuing in it under some misguided notion that when you're being a martyr for somebody you're helping and um And that's just not the case. In there, in that lesson was also the idea that a a counterpoint to the idea that Jesus was a martyr or that martyrdom is a good thing because much of that book and the lessons in it are about balance and And respect for everyone and everyone's gifts and everyone's role. And learning to understand that while at some levels we're not the same, we have different gifts. At another level, we're all the same. We're all part of the whole, and we all have equal value. And we're all contributing to the interaction, to life, to lessons, So that's what we were doing on Friday. And what we might pick up and do again more of today if no one has a comment or a question or an answer or a testimonial. Again, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. And we encourage you to call that number and press 1 on your phone and let us know how we can be of support. We will have a support group tomorrow. All the information that you might need to join us for that group is available at mindshiftersacademy.org. We'd be happy to have you or have you pass the information along to somebody that you think might benefit. I think the last couple of essays I read were fairly short and worth repeating. Essay 116 is... We will get there. And the essay is reading, Near-death experiencers often describe the sense that everything is in perfect order. One may ask, well, how can this be, given all the apparent destruction and suffering in the world? The statement, everything being in perfect order, does not mean that we are expressing love in the most optimal way yet. The theory here is that we knowingly came into a very difficult constraint set, which we call the physical universe, in order to refine our ability to make love-based rather than fear-based choices. 
and to make those love-based choices within increasingly more challenging environments and situations. We have a long way to go. Each of us still quite often makes choices based out of fear rather than love. But because of the, quote, divine law, close quotes, that source that that the source of everything that God, that light, that love has in place, the divine laws that are in place, because of that, we will get there. Whether we get there quickly or slowly depends on our own choices. The process is unfolding successfully. It's a real system. Real beings are making real free will choices, and that can get apparently quite messy. That messiness is a price that we are willing to pay to participate in such an amazing endeavor of creative expansion. To put it in religious language, God's plan cannot fail. We all choose every day how readily we will work with it or not, and yet the plan can't fail. The spiritual systems that are in place do, over time, encourage each of us to actually grow towards love, to integrate our fears, and to fully express ourselves in a huge variety of conditions. As we do that, the plan of the Creator is fulfilled, and despite how circumstances may appear on the surface, we are doing that right now. So, take heart. Have hope and be encouraged. There is great opportunity and power in any given moment for you to choose love and compassion, even in the simplest of ways. As you do so, as a part of the one, you yourself, you actually facilitate the successful fulfillment of the great plan of this universe. The next essay is simply titled, Goodness Cannot Help But Win. No matter what happens, life ends up using it for the good. There is no loss that is not eventually followed by the victory of life, which becomes more through that loss. No matter the loss, failure, or destruction, there is always some good that comes into being afterward as a result. This is the nature of permanent life versus impermanent change. Everything that happens within beingness occurs for beingness's sake. There is no circumstances or circumstance that can overcome beingness nor escape the evolution of beingness. So while the churning of changing circumstance may seem to burn us, we can never be lost and we can never truly fail. This means that we do not ever have to surrender to the feeling of defeat. I know many, many people who will 
push back against that. They have in our groups, they have in my personal therapy sessions, they have at different times on the support groups, at different times on the Internet show. And yet, I continue to run into people every now and then who are living their lives with that reminder, posted all over on post-it notes or posters they have on their walls, and they live in, in terms of looking for that lens that helps them see whatever I've been through, whatever abuses, whatever traumas, whatever tortures, whatever difficulties in life, I'm going to bless them all because they led me to here. They led me to this place. I just did an interview this morning with Dr. Lauren Michael Harris, and he has that view. He had 22 different foster parents, foster mothers, he says. He had quite a few different situations of abuse in his life before he aged out of the foster system. Trauma after trauma in his life after that before things started to come together. And now he is a highly sought-after speaker and has created a symposium to try and uplift children and he lives by this. He even said it probably more than once in the interview. All that stuff that's happened to me in my life, I bless it because it's led me here. And that doesn't mean that everybody needs to take that perspective. It just means it's a view I can take And if I try it on and it helps me bring more loving intent into the moment, it will serve me well. It will serve life well. The next essay in this book is 118. It's titled, The Spiritual Message of Empowerment. The spiritual message is one of empowerment. This is because powerlessness is just a non-fundamental experience, while freedom and power are enduring truths. Spirituality is about moving towards what actually is, since freedom and power are our true inalienable nature. True spirituality naturally moves toward them freedom and power because we have fear we resist our experience in myriad of ways we use our ideas and our will to set up many boundaries and to hold or block our experience we even use ideas about spirituality to do this we seem to lose the powerful truth as we assign it to the powerless form of our being, of our bodies, of our limitations in the physical realm. The question that arises is, can life be repressed? The statement is, it can choose to express itself through a great variety of conditions and within a great variety of constraints. And those conditions and those constraints can change 
At the same time, life itself is totally free. Spirituality is about that true nature of life. It's about allowing it and knowing it and becoming it. It's not just about the nature of the forms or constraints that life expresses through. Spirit transcends form. Therefore, no form can truly convey its breadth and depth. And yet, as life seeks to express itself through its creations, it can strive to reflect its ineffable, ineffable and inalienable qualities through those forms. Those qualities, among others, are ultimate love, ultimate joy, ultimate peace, ultimate power, and ultimate freedom. And thus the spiritual message is one of ultimate love, joy, peace, power, and freedom. Okay. I've also read this one recently. You are worthy of love. You are not just worthy of love. It is the essence of what you truly are. You, specifically you hearing this, are cherished, adored, and celebrated. And despite what you may believe or what you may think about yourself, you are deserving of that cherishing and celebration religious ideology often teaches that we must earn God's favor or acceptance and in parentheses it says God in quotes by whatever term you may call him her or it close parentheses we must earn God's favor or acceptance through action or through belief. That's what a lot of religious ideology teaches. This book, these teachings say that's untrue. Unconditional love is simply that. It's love in all conditions. But the Creator's love is not just unconditional in a general way. The Creator is unconditionally loving even with full knowledge of your personal failings and imperfections. Imagine the depths of love necessary to completely and fully love you even as you perform your darkest act. And only then would you even begin to just barely touch the understanding of the fullness of the Creator's love. No matter what you've suffered, no matter what you've endured or what you've done, you personally are cherished, adored, celebrated, and upheld. You are celebrated for being just who you are. Allow yourself to feel this right now. Let go of all of your self-judgments and all of your preconceptions and all of your stresses and feel it deep down within you. 
let go and allow yourself to feel and remember that you are profoundly and deeply cherished and celebrated. Though the human journey is long and filled with the obfuscation of physical life, in other words, your physical being obscures this from your awareness quite often, even though that's the truth, your deepest being remembers your true nature as love. Your deepest being yearns for the energy of creation that you have never lost. Can you feel it even as a precious little glimmer? When we know this about ourselves, when we know deep within ourselves with confidence that we are cherished and celebrated, when we really know it, then it's so much easier to express love that we are within the world that we exist. How much better can we shine the light to each other when we know that the source of all life cherishes and celebrates us personally? For indeed, as often as we seem to get lost in the fog of circumstance, it is by shining our light to the other person that they may remember the love that exists for them. It is by your kindness and compassion that another person may be reminded of the kindness and compassion that never ceases. We have the profound honor of having the opportunity to shine the light of love to each other in a place where we seem to have forgotten it. Many millions of beings yearning for this opportunity that you and I have today. So remember today, this very day, that you are worthy of being cherished and celebrated by the source of all creation. And as you do so, you can shine that energy of love to those around you. Remind them that they too are worthy no matter how messy life may seem. For as you shine the light of love to others and remind them of who they really are, you help facilitate the great plan of bringing the foundational love of being into this reality. of uh, essays from the book Walk in the Physical just to see what it might resonate for you just to see are there parts of you that want to argue against this and as we talk about in this work one of the most useful things is to just watch what gets stirred up in you. This morning I was listening to the audio book titled Awareness by Anthony DeMello. And that's one of the things he talks about. It's very much like what Krishnamurti talks about. 
please don't sit and just agree with what's being said. Active listening, questioning for yourself, is the only thing that's of value. And if you're, you find yourself saying, yes, 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 oh, yes, I agree, I, I believe that, I believe that, you're probably missing an opportunity. What's the opportunity? The opportunity is to listen for what gets stirred up in you that might want to argue with this. What are your own personal experiences during which or from which you may have downloaded some contradictory beliefs or trauma energy? Active listening and questioning as you monitor what's going on within yourself is a very highly recommended approach to work like this, to get even more out of it at deeper levels. Area code 610, is this Susan? Hi, Dr. Tim. Um, Hello. A little while back... Hello. A little while back in this reading, and I I wish I had written down what he said, something about whatever condition we are in, we we can have the approach of allowing everything. I'm inarticulate because I can't remember. And so I'm going to ask my question from a different angle. I think I have always thought that you have to be in really good physical shape, physical, yeah, physical shape in order to be in good mental shape and emotional shape. You have to take good care of yourself and make sure all of your organs are functioning properly. And, you know, if you have, for instance, something that I know nutritionists call adrenal fatigue and the regular doctors, some of them don't think that is a thing at all and of course being in the middle with no expertise on either side I wouldn't know but I've had this idea that um, for instance if I had adrenal fatigue I might be able to say well that's because that's the reason I'm feeling snippy or crabby or my physical self has in other words a huge influence on how I see the world and I can have all kinds of good intentions, but you can, I believe that you can be easily dragged down by physical circumstances, which is almost like the argument I was making last week about, well, if there's all this climate change and we're breathing bad air and we're, everybody has a gun and so forth, how can I be X, Y, and Z? I'm finding all the different angles that I've been fighting against the possibility that we can, no matter what, that's what this guy Sundberg was saying, I think, is no matter what condition or situation you find yourself in, you can do this work. You can choose and decide and everything will eventually, ultimately be all right, even if it looks not all right. I guess that's sort of a question. I don't quite know what to do with the I guess just look at it, this belief that 
you know, you have to have had enough sleep and you have to have, uh, you know, a pretty good diet in order to be able to grow spiritually. Well, and I you know, that's um, cool. well, so, so think about it from the perspective of everything exists in levels of scale. So at one level, Abraham Hicks says, you who are here in the physical realm are on the cutting edge of creation. You've heard me say that before. And Mm -hmm. this this book, A Walk in the Physical, takes that and amplifies that just as Abraham does in in other talks, to say you're here to expand your capacity to feel love, to feel compassion, to be more loving in deeper and deeper circumstances, more challenging circumstances. Mm -hmm. You you, You come in having forgotten your true nature and you think you're just this pathetic little human being, and in that situation... You grow in your ability to develop patience and to develop respect for the other person and tolerance and all these different things. And it's it's said in one of these essays. So here's a person who comes to the physical realm and has this experience and develops mastery over the concept of patience. And now it's back... Mm -hmm in the non-physical realm and and these other beings sensing this this tremendous change in this other being say you know tell us about patience and there's nothing that that person can say from the non-physical realm where everybody understands they're all whole and complete just as they are they're living in the bliss state they can't even mm-hmm. comprehend what patience is about. Why would you need patience? Everything is already here. Mm-hmm. I'm not waiting for anything because it's whole and complete and I'm totally... So in order to grow in patience, a person has to come into the physical and develop that capacity to get frustrated, mm-hmm. to want something that doesn't happen, etc., and then to be gentle with themselves, etc. So in that in that way of looking at it, you can say... You have to take care of your body so you can stay here long enough to develop patience, tolerance, compassion, you know, forgiveness, um, pardoning people, etc. So that's one way of looking at it, right? There's another level of scale at which it's so important to understand you need do nothing. You don't even need to keep your body alive. At another level of scale, you drop the body and so what? You start another adventure at another level of existence. No, that's not true if you think all you are is the body. But then none of these teachings are going to resonate for you if you think you're just the physical body. Mm. Then there's another level of scale that says, okay, So when you start developing fear about how you can't get a good night's sleep and you don't have the purest water and the air you're breathing isn't, you know, mountaintop pure, and you live in that fear, now there's another lesson 
another constraint set for you to try to develop your intent toward love and past the fear. And that's what this teaching says. Look, in every situation, our our challenge, our assignment, should you decide to accept it, mission impossible, can you be loving in this situation, within this constraint? Mm. Can you look at that picture of the earth on fire on that magazine cover and flood yourself with love energy, with the awareness that your true nature is love, and that as this, these last few essays are saying, that it's all going to work out, that it's all unfolding perfectly already? Or are you going to opt for, you better get off your asses, you human beings are ruining the planet, you know, these people are wrong politically, and... You know, we better get busy doing this, and we be, and, and that's another option we can choose. But this teaching would say that's not growing in loving intent. That's choosing the fear. And it's just a teaching. Does it resonate well for you? Do you enjoy it when it, when it comes up? If so, use it. If not, it's just a teaching. It doesn't change your true nature. It doesn't change your life. If you want to argue against it, you can. If you want to apply it in your daily life, you can. I hope that makes some sense for you. I mean, that the option is is always there to choose love. At least that's what The Course in Miracles told us that year. We read it year before last. Yeah. That's what The Way of Mastery was telling us when we read it last year. That's certainly what this teaching says. It's certainly what Course of Love says. Yeah, I guess I'm just hoping it's going to be a little bit easier to choose love in some situations than it might be. <laughs> <laughs> right. Then it is, right? Yeah, I right. want it I, I want to be patient, but I want to be patient now. Yeah. I know. Yep. Well mm, yeah. Well, I'm definitely straddling that fence. You know. I was behind the man at Costco. Uh, Mondays is my day of stocking up on all the food that we give the refugees at the refugee center, we feed them snacks or meals. It's my day to go get food. I teach. I'm usually a little bit worn out after that and energized to go to Costco. I'm standing behind this man who has two of the big orange carts. I don't know if you've been in Costco, but people buy in great bulk sometimes. And in order to get all that they need. They don't use shopping carts. They use these orange Flatbed carts. carts. Yeah. Yeah. And the man had it stocked, you know, four feet high with my usual, uh, you know. Single use plastic bottle of water. <laughs> yes. How'd you guess? <laughs> so I'm standing there saying, okay, I'm going to choose love for this guy. And I'm now I'm, I'm I'm sending him love. I love you and I bless you. I'm saying a la Prater Band. But I want to say something about to him about the bottles, all the while feeling totally hopeless. 
because we're not getting it. And he, he'll he give me his reasons, you know. I mean, in the war in Ukraine, they were handling, handing out bottles of water. People needed water. How did we do it before there were plastic bottles? We don't remember, and we're not doing it. And so I go into my tailspin, Dr. Tim. It's the same story over and over again. So yes, I'm doing and there's my your challenge. There's yes. your challenge, right? That's right. And in that situation, it's quite the challenge for you to choose for love. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do a good job. But anyway, I tried. That's the intent. All right. Well, and and, I also, there, and then yeah. and then the, the the question is, how much of your energy are you going to spend beating yourself up over the conclusion that you didn't do a good job, or are well, you no, I was doing that. recognize it, <laughs> right? Recognize yeah. it. Have discernment. Oh, I got triggered there. Okay, let me see and what then, I need to do to shift and not be as triggered next time. Yeah, and doing the Golas thing, which I find so lovely, love myself for feeling so pissed off. Love myself for that. Extend yourself the energy. Right, right. Yeah. And he also says, just to add on to the, the struggle, he says, and if you happen to attain a state of great you know, I forget the word, a high or a bliss. He said, better watch out. There's going to be a nosedive a little later on. Yeah. Right, and that's in Michael's okay. work too, right? Right. Is it? High vitality yeah. means that your, your deeper oh, yeah. wisdom You're knows, ready. oh, good. Yeah. Now Tim has the energy to deal with this deeper level trauma or toxin that he couldn't deal right. with when he was at a lower vitality level. Mm-hmm. Well, and then part of me just says, okay, I'm getting too old for this. I'm going to go get an ice cream cone. I'm going to numb out and pay no attention and stop trying to do personal growth whatsoever. I'm abandoning the project. How was the ice cream? I didn't really have it, but I thought about it. <laughs> oh, well, and next time, treat yourself to the ice cream. That sounds like a loving thing to do. <laughs> Maybe. It has that to sounds be a like really a, good a fattiest, goalless thing to do. It has to be what? <laughs> it has to be a good kind. I'm incredibly picky about ice cream. So, right, right. but treating yourself to a good kind, an incredibly pickly good kind of ice cream sounds like a Thaddeus Golas type thing to do. It is, yeah. I'm still loving listening to his book. And I just started it all over again. And I made Tim Bingham listen to a little bit of it yesterday on a walk we were on, and he liked it, yeah. I. It's just like... Uh, Somehow I feel as if I've been a dry sponge, and somehow this is the particular way of presenting things that just hits it right. <clears throat> I think, it, you know, when I go to my grave, I'll, I'll leave a, 
a copy of it in my, you know, this is my last will and testament. Go listen to this thing. Mm. And for some people, it will resonate, you know, a little bit like it is for you or just as much as it is for you, and for others it won't, and that's got to be okay. Mm. Yeah. We've been doing a very interesting exercise in my support group. One of us is 84 years old, and she said, did I mention this before? She said her son said, Mom, I want you to write your obituary. She's not sick, but he said, I want you to write down what you want said. And she's a wonderful woman, and she said, I... Okay, I said, I'll do that. And she started doing it, and she said, it is so hard. What's important? By the time you get to be 84, all of the big stuff you thought was so important that would buy you your ticket to feeling justified and drawing breath on the planet doesn't count much. She said, I had a wonderful dual career. She was a mediator in law cases and an, um, a virologist working in a lab and brilliant person and a mother and she's had a full, wonderful life and a range of experiences. <clears throat> and she said, but all of those things, the most important things to me now are the people who were close to me, who I cared for and who I could be there for, my relationships. She said, how, how do you write your obituary when all the stuff they usually say doesn't mean that much anymore? And we got into this great discussion. And then Tim's sister is on this call. She lives in Colorado. Um, and she said, you know, I, I've been writing my obituary too. She's in her late 70s. And she said, but what I decided I had to do was write a personal private obituary first. All the stuff that I I really feel about myself that's becoming less and less pin-downable. And I'm working on it. And so we all decided to do it. And we're doing it. But it is the strangest exercise and really, really fun and good. <clears throat> and I don't know why I'm telling you that, except maybe we, we ought to write our obituaries on the radio show or something. Well, it's the kind of thing that you'd have to agree to do and want to do. Not everybody's going to line up with it, just like not everybody's going to resonate so deeply with the Thaddeus Golis book. Yeah. But for those who, you know, find it exciting and stimulating, that's a wonderful activity. So, in uh, keeping with our agreement, I'm turning on the microphone for area code 828. I believe it's Magda. Yep, this is Magda. And hi, Dr. Kim and Susan and everybody else who's on the line. Oh, I can't believe it's so late. Holy cow. Um, I would, I want to ask you, Dr. Kim, to speak about Withholding my truth 
from someone that seems to be interfering with my ability to actually choose love when I'm with that person. And I think this is what's going on, and I'm not sure. I just realized that when I've been with this person, there are certain aspects of behavior that I personally find irritating, that my goal for this person would be to act differently and think differently, you know, my goals. Um, And because I don't see this person all that very often, I have chosen to not be as honest as I am with close friends because I think, for me, that's a part of of friendship is to uh, speak honestly about my my beliefs, opinions, and reactions and all that jazz and expect that from the other person. So because I have withheld, I find that I have developed resentment and so please speak about that that condition that I seem to have created for myself. Well, you want me to speak on the on how you know what I can do when I generate resentments? That the, yeah, the primary what, tool in this work is specifically designed for that. <laughs> Right, uh-huh. so the, rea- the the reality management worksheet is, you know, like the primary go-to tool for that. And if if something arises within me that says, "Oh, I just can't do a worksheet on this," then I want to use one of the other tools to uncover. Okay, so what's going on inside of me that wants to block this? Even when I say this is the most important issue up for me right now, so I might do, okay. you know, the I I might do the through early memories of conflict, or I might do the the uh, mind shifter targeted journaling. I'm 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 going to actively look at either the specific resentment that I'm generating, right, mm-hmm. or I'm going to work at unraveling what it is in me that keeps me from being honest with this person oh, I'm afraid of this, or oh, I don't think the relationship's worth enough, or oh, they're too fragile. And so I'm going to work to dismantle those false beliefs within me. Right. So there's one level at which I can just work within myself to dismantle the resentment so that I can be with this person and revel in, in the energy of creation expressing in front of me, even though it's not in a way that I would choose, that I would prefer, that fits with my cultural family background. Mm-hmm. So I can dismantle the resentment that I, make, let's say the person chews with their mouth open and burps at the table. And every time that happens, it just kind of like sends shockwaves through my system. Why would that happen? Why would that send shockwaves through my system? Because of the way I was programmed as a child. Yes. Because of the the resentment or the punishment that my parents would have generated if any of us at the table did those behaviors. That's why I would have that. No other reason. It's programmed into me. Because if I was raised in another culture where 
everybody chewed with their mouth open and everybody you know, burped whenever they wanted to, this wouldn't be sending negative shockwaves through my system. For sure, because in some cultures, burping is a sign of great respect. A compliment to the chef, right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so at one level, that's what I could do. I can dismantle the resentment. Okay. At another okay. level, I, you described a situation where, for whatever reason, you're choosing not to be honest with this person, not to be mm-hmm. wide open with this person. And so mm-hmm. you might say, "Well, um, I don't want to. I don't want to deal with that individual resentment right now. But I'm really curious about why I will be honest like this with some people, but not with this person." And so I might do the targeted journaling that Michael calls a mind shifter tool, or I might do three early memories of conflict, or I might do reality management worksheets or EFT tapping on the tension that arises in me, the resistance that arises in me when I think about being wide open and honest with this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, the word deserving is coming up, that this person deserves more than I am giving. And uh, so I think that's a, a clue to where I, I need to go. And um, <clears throat> the mind shifter sounds perfect for that. Um, because somehow and, there's a part of you that says they don't deserve you being that open and honest? And that's why you haven't been? Is that what you're saying? I suspect that might be true because the immediate thought that comes up is being as open and honest as I would like to be um, maybe perceived by this person as being very unloving and cruel and I would definitely attempt to uh, phrase things in such a way that it, it would be coming from a loving place um, however I'm taking a risk that's it the thing is a risk for me um, that I might be attacked in some way verbally or or emotionally um, as the as person's reaction to what I say. So that's, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Uh, I think that mind shifter will take me in some deep territory. I don't recall anything from history right now, but I think I will. I'm getting the so, suspicion. So the, the, the idea is that, you think you will be risking what if you're honest with this person? Risking criticism, ah, criticism of me and and how I am treating this person, um, that my behavior perhaps might indicate that I think I'm superior <laughs> and, I, and who knows what else. I don't, I don't want to take the risk of being criticized because I want to be perfect, of course. It always comes back to that, wanting to be perfect and perceived by others as being loving, caring, and most of all, perfect. Wow. Okay. All right. How so, dare somebody not think you're perfect 
I, that is such gall. That's absolute hubris on the part of whoever it is. But Dr. Tim, you understand <laughs> that I'm the one. I'm the one who thinks I'm not perfect. How dare and you I'm... think you're not perfect just the way you are? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Good. Thank you. Say it again. Say it again. How dare you think you're not perfect just the way you are? Oh. The gall yeah. of some people. <laughs> yeah. Interesting thought just came up, which is the stupidity of me to believe that that could be true. Whoa, there's another branch to work on. <laughs> oh, the stupidity man. of you to believe that what might be true? That I'm not perfect just as I am. That's an inference, obviously, that I took from somewhere, probably parents, probably, you know, Catholic Church, blah, blah. And and so I was, oh, I will not laugh about this. I was, I'm going to use the word stupid, um, stupid enough to believe it would be true and is true. And I have far less of that now because I have done work on this a bunch, and it's still there. There's that little kernel um, of belief that I, I obviously must not be perfect. Wow. Okay. A little bit of work. So the real resentment. So the real resentment, this is one of these little twists, you know, that you can, what you can find if you're, if you're doing what you're doing now, which is just questioning openly, you find one of these twists. And, and the twist here is the real person that you have resentment for is yourself for not being perfect. Okay. Wow. I think that's true. It's all an inside job. You might have heard us say this before. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's true. It's true. It's true. Thank you. That was, that was very, very astute. Yep. Well, so okay. good luck with the worksheets and the mind shifter. And you didn't specify what mind shifter you're going to use, but they abound either on the list that Michael has. Yeah. And my coaching yeah. make available or anything related to it's okay for you to accept the fact that you're perfect or that you're not perfect. Right. Yeah. Take healing for you to accept okay. the fact that all of your resentments are rooted in the fact that you're not perfect yet. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I will I will meditate no I will cognate on that and maybe even meditate on it too. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're very welcome. All right. And deserving. Another level to go. Well, good okay. luck. Thanks for the Blessings. call. Blessings. I'll mute you so you can listen to the second hour 
I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. Something just popped up on my screen. Excuse me. Today's Monday, June the 26th, 2023, and our calling number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. And uh, we have put out on the website the information on the intuitive development. We don't have a date or the price on it yet, but if you're interested in participating in that, please drop me a line at Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org, or give us a call and let us know that you're interested, and let's get you registered. And uh, in the meantime... We are now on Chapter 9. We're reading out of The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And Chapter 9 is called Removing Your Inner Thorn. So the spiritual journey is one of constant transformation. In order to grow, you must give up the struggle to remain the same and learn to embrace change at all times. One of the most important areas requiring change is how we solve our... We normally attempt to solve our inner disturbances by protecting ourselves. Real transformation begins when you embrace your problems as agents for growth. In order to understand how this process works, let's examine the following situation. Imagine that you have a thorn in your arm that directly touches a nerve. As Aria would say, cancel that thought. When the thorn is touched, it's very painful because it hurts so much the thorn is a serious problem. It's difficult to sleep because you roll over on it. It's hard to get close to people because they might touch it. It makes your daily life very difficult. You can't even go for a walk in the woods because you might brush the thorn against the branches. This thorn is a constant source of disturbance. And to solve the problem, you only have two choices. The first choice is to look at your situation and decide that since it's so disturbing when things touch the thorn, then you need to make sure nothing touches it. The second choice is to decide that since it's so disturbing when things touch the thorn, you need to take it out. Believe it or not, The effects of the choice you make will determine the course of the rest of your life. This is one of the core level structural decisions that lay in the foundation for your future. Let's begin with the first choice and explore how it will affect your life. If you decide you have to keep things from touching the thorn, then that becomes the work of a lifetime. If you want to go for a walk in the woods, you have to thin out the branches to make sure you don't brush against them. Since you often roll over and touch the thorn when you sleep, you'll have to find a solution for that as well. Perhaps you could design an apparatus. If you really put a lot of energy into it and your solution seemed to work, you would think that you had solved your problem. You'd say, I can sleep now. And guess what? 
I got to go on TV to give a testimonial. Anybody who has the thorn problem can get my protective device, and I even get paid royalties. So now you've got a whole life built around this thorn, and you're proud of it. You keep the wounds, the woods thinned out. You wear the apparatus to bed at night, but now you have a new problem. You fell in love. This is a problem because in your situation, it's hard to even hug. Nobody can touch you because they might touch the thorn. So you design another kind of device that allows closeness among people without actually touching. Eventually, you decide you want total mobility without having to worry about the thorn anymore. So you make a full-time device that doesn't have to be unstrapped at night or changed over for hugging and other daily activities. But it's heavy. So you put wheels on it, control it with hydraulics, and install collision sensors. It's actually quite an impressive device. Of course, you had to change the doors in the house so that the protective apparatus could get through. But at least now you can live your life. You can go to work, go to sleep, and get close to people. So you announce to everyone, I have solved my problem. I am a free being. I can go anywhere I want. I can do anything I want. This thorn used to run my life, but now it doesn't run anything. The truth is, the thorn completely runs your entire life. It affects all your decisions, including where you go, whom you're comfortable with, and who's comfortable with you. It determines where you're allowed to work, what house you can live in, what kind of bed you can sleep on at night. When it's all said and done, that thorn is running every aspect of your life. It turns out that the life of protecting yourself from your problem becomes a perfect reflection of the problem itself. You didn't solve anything. If you don't solve the root cause of the problem, but instead attempt to protect yourself from the problem, it ends up running your life. You end up so psychologically fixated on the problem that you can't see the forest for the trees. You actually feel that because you've minimized the pain of the problem, that you've solved the problem, but it's not solved. All you did was devote your life to avoiding it. It is now the center of your universe. It's all there is. In order to apply the analogy of the thorn to your whole life, we will use loneliness as an example. Let's say you have a very deep sense of inner loneliness. It's so deep that you have trouble sleeping at night, and during the day it makes you very sensitive. You're susceptible to feeling sharp pangs in your heart that cause quite a disturbance. You have trouble staying focused on your job. You have trouble with everyday interactions. What's more, when you're very lonely, it's often painfully difficult to get close to people. You see, loneliness is just like the thorn. It causes pain and disturbance in all aspects of your life. In the case of the human heart, we have more than one thorn. We have sensitivities about loneliness, about rejection, about our physical appearance, about our mental prowess. We are walking around with lots of thorns touching right against the most sensitive part of our hearts. At any moment, something can touch them and cause pain inside. You have the same two choices with these inner thorns as you did with the thorn in your arm. 
surely it was obvious that you would have been much better off taking out the thorn. There's no reason to spend your life protecting the thorn from being touched when you can just remove it. Once the thorn is removed, you are truly free of it. The same is true with your inner thorns. They can be removed. But if you choose to keep them without being disturbed by them, you must modify your life to avoid the situations that would stir them up. If you're lonely, you must avoid going to places where couples tend to be. If you're afraid of rejection, you must avoid getting too close to people. If you do this, however, it is for the same reason that you thinned out the woods. You are attempting to adjust your life to make allowances for your thorns. In the earlier example, the thorns were outside. Now they are inside. When you're lonely, you find yourself pondering what to do about your loneliness. What is it that you can say or do in order to not feel so lonely? Notice that you aren't asking how to get rid of the problems. You're asking how to protect yourself from feeling it. You do this either by avoiding situations or by using people, places, and things as protective shields. You're going to end up just like the person with the thorn. The loneliness will run your entire life. You'll marry the person who makes you feel less lonely and you'll think that's natural and normal. But it's exactly the same as the person who is avoiding the pain of the thorn instead of taking it out. You have not removed the root of loneliness. You have only attempted to protect yourself from feeling it. Should someone die or leave you, the loneliness would again gain, would again disturb you. The problem will be back the moment the external situation fails to protect you from what's inside. If you do not remove the thorn, you will end up responsible for both the thorn and everything you pulled around yourself in an attempt to avoid it. Should you be fortunate enough to find someone who manages to diminish the feeling of loneliness, you will then begin worrying about keeping your relationship with this person. You've managed to compound the issue by avoiding the problem. This is exactly the same as using the apparatus to compensate for the thorn. You have to adjust your life accordingly. The minute you allow the core problem to stay, it expands expands into multiple problems. It wouldn't dawn on you to just get rid of it. Instead, the only solution you see is to try to avoid feeling it. Now you have no choice but to go out and fix everything that affects it. You have to worry about how you dress and how you talk. You have to worry about what people think of you because that could affect your feeling of loneliness or need for love. If someone's attracted to you and this eases your feelings of loneliness, you wish you could say, how do I need to act in order to please you? I can be any way that you want. I just don't want to feel these periods of loneliness anymore. You now have this burden of worrying about the relationship. It creates an experience of underlying tension and discomfort, and it can even affect your sleep at night. The truth is, however, the discomfort you're experiencing isn't actually the feeling of loneliness. It's the never-ending thoughts of, did I say the right thing? Does she really like me? Am I just kidding myself? The root problem is now buried under all of these shallower issues that are all about avoiding the deeper ones. It all gets very complicated. 
People end up using their relationships to hide their thorns. If you care for each other, you are expected to adjust your behavior to avoid bumping into each other's soft spots. This is what people do. They let the fear of their inner thorns affect their behavior. They end up limiting their lives just like someone living with an external thorn. Ultimately, if there is something disturbing inside of you, you have to make a choice. You can compensate for the disturbance by going outside in an attempt to avoid feeling it, or you can simply remove the thorn and not focus your life around it. And I can stop there or I can keep reading. Well, Miss Jeannie, thank you and welcome everybody. Delighted that you're here. And I like his his uh, layup for this idea of everybody has painful realities that they really don't want to look at and don't want to deal with and you know, they try to or- organize everything in their lives, control everything in their lives to make sure it doesn't happen to me again. And, and uh, the more, because we are creators, the more energy we putting in, we put into making sure it never happens again, the faster it's going to happen again. So it's a, an uh, amazing ongoing process, uh, a balance between, for most people, that game of avoidance or control and the willingness to say, I'm going to step into whatever's here. And one of the really big points to me that moves us toward willingness is a piece of understanding, and I don't know if if Michael gets to this in his book, but whatever the thorn is that you don't want to deal with, we think it's psychological pain, emotional pain, oh, people don't approve, whatever it is. And at the same time, that energy impacts us physically, what we call the physical body. Of course, when you get down to the truth of it, there's no such thing as a physical body. Let's listen to Einstein for a minute. He says, on such things as matter, we've been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy, energy whose vibration has been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. Matter doesn't exist. There's no material world. Yes, it appears material. Gee, I clap my hands together, Michael. If there's no material world, if this isn't solid, how come when I clap my hands together, they don't just pass through each other? Well, remember we talked about a law called the law of resonance. The law of resonance says that when two energy fields are in tune or in harmony with each other, there's an interaction, there's an interchange of energy between them. If I, let's imagine I took my left hand and I made my left hand out of radio waves and I left my right hand as what I call a physical hand. If I went to clap my hands together, what would happen? Well, the radio wave hand would pass right through the other one. What does that mean? Well, what if I made... Let's take it one more step. What if I made both of my hands out of radio waves and went to clap them together? If they were the same frequency, they'd appear solid to each other. There's nothing solid about your hand, your left or your right. There's nothing solid about a radio wave. But where there is resonance or attunement in that energy system, there is an impact or an effect created. You know, a radio wave comes floating through the air. If I tune my 
Notice that that radio wave has no impact, at least in any visible way or auditory way, until I tune it to just the right frequency on the dial. And then when I hit the right frequency, all of a sudden, there's an interaction between the radio wave that's always been here and the radio. Why wasn't that interaction here before? It wasn't here because they weren't attuned. So my hands appear solid to each other because they are resonating energy systems. And therefore, there's an interaction between them. So if there's something in me, some thorn in me that I'm trying desperately to avoid, and, you know, I love the description he had about, you know, having the machine and the wheels and all that, and see, nobody touches it. The more I try to avoid whatever that thorn is, as he's very you know, humorously describing, the more energy I put into it, the faster somebody's going to come and bang into that thorn, no matter how much protection I try to create. And there is one tool that I know of that, not that there aren't other tools to do this piece of work with, but one tool that consistently, persistently, if used, will weaken the thorns and remove them so that we don't have to give them physical expression. We don't have to mentally think about that energy. We don't have to emotionally experience that energy because that energy has been forgiven. I was talking to someone the other day, and they were talking about forgiving themselves, and I suggested, no, 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 never forgive yourself. Well, should I forgive that other person? No, never forgive anybody for anything. Oh, but Michael, I thought your work was about forgiveness. It is, absolutely. Forgive continuously, but never forgive anybody or yourself. Well, Michael, that just makes no sense whatsoever. Well, it does if you understand what forgiveness is. See, 2,000 years ago, this man, Yeshua, brought a tool that showed people how to collapse the thorns, the painful construct, thorn-style realities in their minds, and access the underlying energy and remove those energy patterns from their physiology. The tool was called forgiveness. The minute that you turn forgiveness into, ah, I'm in pain, but I'm going to let you off the hook for it, you just bastardized forgiveness. Now there is no forgiveness left. The world has been functioning for pretty close to 2,000 years, virtually totally and completely void of forgiveness. If somebody told you you should forgive your neighbor, you should forgive yourself, you should forgive the guy down the block, that person did not understand what forgiveness was and was giving you a bad set of instructions, a poor set of instructions. Now, there is a tool called pardoning. Gee, you did something really terrible, crazy, awful, evil, ugly, nasty, whatever you want to call it, and therefore I'm going to pardon you for that. I'm going to let you off the hook for that crazy thing you did. That's nice, but that's not forgiveness. And we've been taught that that is forgiveness. And it has 
nothing whatsoever to do with forgiveness. So once again, never forgive anybody. Never forgive yourself. Pardon yourself or someone else if you will. But if you call pardoning someone else or yourself forgiveness, then you'll never do the next step, which is the real forgiveness work. And that is drop inside yourself, find the thorn that's creating the irritation, the disturbance, the upset, and motivating you to avoid. Collapse the surface mind's perceptions involved in that thorn. Drop into the very root of that form as the active presence of love, and bringing love to that thorn dissolves it and removes it. Now you're doing forgiveness work. Now you're doing forgiveness work. And most of the world has been promoting this idea of pardon. In fact, you know, we've worked with some folks in the Spanish language, and in Spanish, the word that's translated as forgive is pardon. And forgiveness has got nothing to do with pardoning. They're two completely, totally separate things. So pardon someone, if you will, or don't. And then, if you want to be free of the thorn that is going to express as physical disease, is going to express as emotional disease, is going to express as mental disease, then you apply forgiveness to remove those energetic patterns. And that's how you get done with the world of drama and trauma and pain. And Arya just came in with a piece of art for me. That's beautiful, sweetheart. It's got hearts on it, and she signed it. And it's, you, Did you glue those on? She glued on a bunch of different reflective, colorful shapes, stars and circles and leaves. That's pretty cool. Thank you, sweetheart. I am blessed. So there's the difference in pardoning and forgiving, and the culture simply needs to have its conversations about forgiveness turned around the other way. So thank you, Michael, for that uh, analogy. Uh, there's another Michael. Actually, the book that Nini's reading on the show is a book by a man named Michael. Yeah, another Michael. You want to try some chocolate? Okay. But let's check with Nini first and see if we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room. Well, I just asked her. No. Uh, so, Miss Jeannie? Actually, I, there are no hands up. Um, and Yank is in the chat room. And she said she hey there, young lady. The Welcome. Reading, that it was what she needed to hear. And, uh, and there are two hands up, but they were up for Dr. Tim. So, I think they've already talked to him. So, uh-huh. we well, if you're out there in this or land. plenty of time. Our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 
3581. I have a little girl here who knows that number by heart. And if you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly on your phone. And then if you push 1, that'll put a hand up in the control panel, and Jeannie will know you want to speak with us. So what's on your mind? How can we support you? How is your practice of using the tools going for you? Any major breakthroughs to share? Any major blocks to ask about or that you need support with? And if nobody has a question or a thought, then maybe Jeannie, just go ahead and pick up a little more reading. Okay, I'll do that. So this is a continuation in the same chapter, Removing Your Inner Thorn. Do not doubt your ability to remove the root cause of the disturbance inside of you. It really can go away. You can look deep within yourself to the core of your being and decide that you don't want the weakest part of you running your life. You want to be free of this. You want to talk to people because you find them interesting, not because you're lonely. You want to have a relationship with good people, with people because you genuinely like them, not because you need for them to like you. To love because you truly love, not because you need to avoid your inner problems. So how do you free yourself? In the deepest sense, you free yourself by finding yourself. You, you are not the pain that you feel, nor are you the part that periodically stresses out. None of these disturbances have anything to do with you. You are the one who notices these things. Because your consciousness is separate, and aware of these things, you can free yourself. To free, us, free yourself of the, your inner thorns, you simply stop playing with them. The more you touch them, the more you irritate them because you're always doing something to avoid feeling them. They are not given the chance to naturally work themselves out. If you want, you can simply permit the disturbances to come up and let them go. Since your inner thorns are simply blocked energies from the past, they can be released. The problem is you either completely avoid situations that would cause them to release or you push them back down in the name of protecting yourself. Suppose you're sitting at home watching TV. You're enjoying the program until the two main characters fall in love. Suddenly you feel loneliness. But there's no one around to give you attention. Interestingly, you were fine just a few minutes ago. This example shows that the thorn is always in your heart. It's just not activated until something touches it. You feel the reaction at the hollowness or a dropping sensation in your heart. It feels very uncomfortable. A sense of weakness comes over you and you begin thinking about other times when you were left alone and of people who have hurt you. Stored energy from the past releases from the heart and generates thoughts. Now, instead of enjoying TV, you're sitting alone, caught in a wave of thoughts and emotions. What can you do to solve this besides eating something, calling somebody, or doing something else that might quiet it down? What you can do is notice that you noticed. 
You can notice that your consciousness was watching TV and now it's watching your inner melodrama. One who sees this is you, the subject. What you are looking at is an object. A feeling of emptiness is an object. It's something you feel. But who feels it? Your way out is to just notice who's noticing. It's really that simple. It is much less complex than the protective apparatus with all of its ball bearings and wheels and hydraulics. All you have to do is notice who it is that feels the loneliness. The one who notices is already free. If you want to be free of these energies, you must allow them to pass through you instead of hiding them inside of you. Ever since you were a child, you had energies going on inside. Wake up and realize that you are in there and you have a sensitive person in there with you. Simply watch that sensitive part of you feel disturbance. See it feel jealousy, need, and fear. These feelings are just part of the nature of a human being. If you pay attention, you'll see that they are not you. They are just something you're feeling and experiencing. You are the indwelling being that is aware of all of this. If you maintain your center, you can learn to appreciate and respect even the difficult experiences. For example, some of the most beautiful poetry and music have come from people who were in turmoil. Great art comes from the depth of one's being. You can experience these very human states without getting lost in them or resisting them. You can notice that you notice and just watch how experiencing loneliness affects you. Does your posture change? Do you breathe slower or faster? What goes on when loneliness is given the space it needs in order to pass through you? Be an explorer. Witness it. And then it will go. If you don't get absorbed in it, the experience will soon pass and something else will come up. Just enjoy all of it. If you can do this, you will be free and the world of pure energy will open up within you. The more you sit in the self, with a capital S, the more you will begin to feel an energy that you have never never experienced before. It comes up from behind rather than in front where you experience your mind and emotions. When you are no longer absorbed in your melodrama but instead sit comfortably deep inside the seat of awareness, you will start to feel this flow of energy coming up from deep within. This flow has been called Shakti. This flow has also been called spirit. This is what you begin to experience if you hang out with yourself, capital S, instead of hanging out with the inner disturbances. You don't have to get rid of loneliness. You just cease to be involved with it. It's just another thing in the universe. Cars, grass, the stars. None of your business. Just let it go. Let things go. That's what the self does. Awareness does not fight. Awareness releases. Awareness is simply aware while everything in the universe parades before it. If you sit within the self, you will experience the strength of your inner being even when your heart feels weak. This is the essence of the path. This is the essence of a spiritual life. Once you learn that it's okay to feel inner disturbances and that they can no longer disturb your seat of consciousness, you will be free. You will begin to be sustained by the inner energy flow that comes from behind you. When you have tasted the ecstasy of the inner flow, 
You can walk in this world and the world will never touch you. That's how you become a free being. You transcend. That's the end of that chapter. And my my offering would be that path he's offering is the ancient path of basically meditation, stillness, and that would be comparable to what we've suggested to you over and over and over again is that you take time to cultivate relationship with yourself. Take time where the mind is quiet and just be in that space of connectedness. But there's also a very active part that you can play in moving through these layers and accelerating the process. And that's what the forgiveness tool is about, is about accessing those things. That's what the still point breathing tool is about, accessing, processing through those things. That's what mind shifters are about, resonating and getting things moving to be processed through. And I liked I liked the way that uh, he came up with that line of, you know, here I am sitting in my loneliness. What else can I do with this besides eat? <laughs> and it reminded me of a, of a film, and I just looked, and it's now available if you're on Amazon. It's now available uh, free to watch if you're an Amazon Plus member or Amazon whatever it is. And it's it's a worthwhile film to watch. It's a true story. It's called May I Be Frank. And the thing that triggered it when he mentioned, what else can I do besides eat, is there's a scene in it. Well, let me go back and let me describe it. But take a look. You can, uh, you can also buy, you know, it it's for sale on Amazon for the new version of it's $33, but they have used for 5 bucks, under $5, and plus delivery so anyway it's out there and it's a true story about a a fellow who was an Italian American who was born and raised if I remember correctly in New Jersey and he's in California and he stops by a restaurant and the restaurant has a greeting every day that changes and when people come in, they're they're asked a question. And so this particular day, there's a young man who's the son of the owner of the restaurant and one of the other employees who greet this Italian-American man who's kind of um, obese. And they ask him the question of the day, I believe if I remember correctly, was, you know, what do you want in your life? And this guy kind of breaks down into tears and speaks about how he'd like to be loved again. And these two young men take, have compassion for him as he speaks about how, but who could ever love me with a body like this? So the uh, the son's owner goes back to the owner and says, Dad, I'd, I'd like to do a project. I'd like to offer this man our food program and to support him in healing and achieving what he wants. And his dad says, you know, go for it. So these two young men take on a project, and they actually go out and get themselves a camera, and they do a pretty good job of creating a video of his 
this man's healing process, what they take him through. One of the scenes in it that was fairly dramatic, but touches in with this idea of what else can I do with this besides eat, is you know, they, they actually form a contract with this man. He signs a contract that he won't eat anything except what they feed him. And, you know, there's certain things that he will do. And he agrees to that. So they take him on kind of as a client. One of the things that they do is they go into his kitchen and they clean out all of the drugs, which means about 80 to 90% of what he had in his kitchen had to go because everything is laced with white flour and sugar and caffeine. You know, such so-called foods aren't foods at all. And they literally go in and, you know, take bags and bags and bags of, of called food out of his kitchen. So there's only, and the only thing that's allowed in his kitchen are things that are actually nutrition and, and actually are food. He goes through, it's a powerful look at the healing process and some of the things, the thorns, so to speak, that are going to have to be faced. And at one point, you know, he's been estranged from his wife and from his daughter, and he wants to reestablish a relationship with them. And so they're sitting in his living room. His daughter's flown in from, or pardon me, his wife and his daughter have flown in from, I think it was New Jersey. And they're sitting with these two young men, and they're kind of processing their lives together. And it's all nicey-nice, you know, gee, you know, here's my former wife. I'd like to get back at least on good terms with her. And they're talking, and, and all of a sudden uh, an issue comes up where, she violates his goals, and he flies into a fit of rage. And it's just, you know, it's so real. He just goes into this rage, and, and as he gets into this rage space, he's sitting on the couch, and he gets up off the couch and walks into the kitchen and opens her. I mean, it's just as automatic a response as you can imagine. He's in pain. And he goes for drugs. And he gets to his refrigerator and opens the refrigerator and remembers, oh, my God, I've got no drugs left in here. There's only food. There's so many ways that people anesthetize themselves. You know, one of the most bizarre ways that people anesthetize themselves in this culture is with alcohol. Alcohol is a pure anesthetic. If you take two molecules of alcohol and you take the water out, you've got ether. You know, feeling no pain, that's what they do. You know, they saw bones with ether, and there's an anesthetic, and that's all that alcohol is. And when people have pain move, they're motivated to use some sort of an anesthetic rather than reach for a tool for healing. And so, you know, this, this work is about, the same thing as that video, that documentary is about, is about acquiring the tools for healing and being able to face those painful realities that oftentimes are generations and generations and generations old. And so I'd invite you to perhaps 
you know, jump on Amazon. I'm sure that eBay probably has used copies as well, but for, for I think with shipping for eight bucks, you can order the DVD, or if you're an Amazon Prime member, it's a free watch. May I be frank? It's powerful. And it gives some insight into what's involved in this healing process. And it parallels perfectly all of the work that we do. You know, one of the uh, things that we do when people do an intensive is we have a uh, total, complete, fresh and raw food program. If you were to come to an intensive at Heartland, we don't have anything scheduled at this moment, but if you were to come to an intensive, from the time you arrived to the time you left, you would see nothing cooked. All that we serve is real, honest-to-God food that has nutrition in it. There are no drugs. There's no sugar. There's no caffeine. There's no junk food. And we ask people to stay in integrity with the food program because that's one of the keys to becoming vital enough to process through what needs to be dealt with. One of the reasons why people drug themselves, one of the reasons why people hold their breath, one of the reasons why people eat junk food, which is just another form of drug, one of the reasons people rage or drink is in order not to deal, to keep themselves weak enough so that they can keep those issues hidden that they don't want to deal with. Those thorns keep them buried. And when you get into a supportive environment where you are actually eating food that has, is, is packed with nutrition and vitalizes your structure, Part of the healing process is that as your vitality raises, those things that you've been hiding with that lower vitality all of a sudden start surfacing. If people do, like for instance, we have right now, we have one online intensive, or pardon me, self-study intensive now, uh, Codependence to Interdependence is actually a 90-hour program that if people want to do a self-study intensive, covers the workshops, why is this happening to me again, codependence to interdependence, communication to hear what I think I said, mind shifters and still point breathing. And all of that work is done in a process way, where, and, and our definition of processing is developing the ability and then following through with keeping love conscious, active, and present in your mind when something less than love comes out. Part of that online program is that, or that self-study program, is that we also have a total fresh and raw food website or Facebook page that's private to the intensives. And on that page, it goes through, it was beautifully done, and we thank Yurate for her work in doing that. And it has videos and pictures and, you know, 14 weeks, three meals a day for 14 weeks of fresh and raw food, how to prepare it, what equipment you need, just everything is right there. And then there's a, 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 a an app called Trello that has all of the recipes in it. So that's part of that intensive program. We're also looking at doing a 10-week uh, a intuitive development intensive, which will also, of course, include the food program. It's an important part of healing to engage in 
starting to shift your diet. If you're used to using a, a drug-filled diet, there's lots of sugar, there's caffeine, there's empty calories, you know, sugared snacks and sugared desserts, white flour, then we invite people to the degree that they're ready to do it to start to vitalize themselves physiologically through shifting and changing the dietary regimen so that they're able to access and process through those things that otherwise, and, and most people don't even know, it's, it's so long ago that they don't even realize that they're drugging themselves with food. You know, if you go look at your refrigerator and start reading the labels, if the you know, second or third or sometimes the first or the fifth ingredient is corn syrup or sugar, even if it's cane sugar, it doesn't matter. It's a drug. It's an anesthetic when it is used without the complement of a whole food connected to it. You know, the, the cell runs on sugar. That's what the fuel is for the human cell. But if you take in pure sugar, it's kind of like a, if you've got a gasoline engine and you cut out all of the air in the carburetor and just feed pure fuel into the engine, the engine will burn up. It won't run. There needs to be a mix of air and gasoline. In the same way, yes, the body converts proteins or anything it eats into sugars, and that's what fuels the cell. But if you simply take that pure sugar without it being part of a whole food, then the body metabolizes it almost instantly, and now somebody ends up with blood sugar problems that lead to things like diabetes. And so the wake-up call is to actually eat real food and recognize when there's a craving for something that is not an actual food, that that can be a signal that, you know, here's a thorn. And the way I avoid my thorn is, oh, well, just give me a candy bar. Just let me have some sugar, then everything will be okay. It's like, no, it's not going to be okay. And so all of that's part and parcel of the healing process and the willingness to embrace what's there Cultivate your relationship with yourself as love and recognizing that if something less than love surfaces in you, that's an opportunity to do some work, to engage in the tools. So, Ms. Jeannie, does that arouse any thoughts for you? And or do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up? Anything happening there in the chat? There are no hands up. No, it's all quiet. I will say that, um, you know, you did uh, Hear My Voice Book Club uh, on the 22nd. You went through a wake-up sheet with the group, and that video is now on YouTube. The link is in today's notes. And then also the next day, on Friday, you had a conversation that was kind of a follow-up to that, and we pulled that out of the two-hour recording, and so that link is also in the notes for today. Thank you for separating that out, sweetheart. That The two fit together really well, I think, and make a, a, a really bigger picture of the forgiveness process and uh, the, the worksheet that we did 
the young lady that was uh, part of the process was so willing and ready to uh, to move through things. It was really pretty profound. It's about a two-hour video. So if you choose to watch that, if you go to our YouTube channel. And to do that, all you do is go to, well, you can go to our website, go to whyagain, whyagain.org, and you'll see the social media links. Click on, on uh, YouTube, and that'll take you right to our channel. Or if you're on YouTube, just type in Michael Rice, R-Y-C-E, and then look for Hear My Voice, and then the date was, um, what, what's the date on it, sweetie, the 20? 20... June 22nd. 22nd. So it was about a two-hour worksheet. There were some good questions, some good process work, and uh, it was, it was an, an excellent uh, interaction. So. so if you're out there and listen to Lynn, we've got about, I don't know, 10 minutes left to chat, so... How can we support you? What's on your mind? Call in numbers 563-999-3581. Let's talk about it. How can we support you? Well, Miss Jeannie, if you have no other thoughts and uh, we don't have any questions, I'm complete with my thoughts for today. And so I'm just going to say, everybody, uh, have we the had best year yet of your... We, oh, we good. Hold, hold. <laughs> Go for it, uh, good. Michael, 770, you're on the air. Hi, folks, how are you today? Hey, we're rocking. How about you, Michael? Wonderful, wonderful. I uh, could take this opportunity to say hello. Glad awesome, to, glad, glad to, to hear from you. you. Glad to be able to catch you and... Jeannie, thank you for separating that out. I did get to listen to nearly half of the book club from the 22nd. What a great experience that is. So I just want to mention that. It sounds like things are returning to normal for you there in Texas. sounds like things were quite a mess from that storm. They were quite a mess. We were over a week without power. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, you need to get Texas back on go. the grid with the United States. Yeah. Yes, indeed. It was uh, quite an experience. That's the warmest time I ever, ever had. And it's going to get even warmer this week. We got a heat index today of 114. It was in the low 100s, I guess, last week when we didn't have power. So glad that we got some power back. And it's heading for 120, I think, before this week is over. So, Air conditioning. Mm. Well, it's interesting. You know, you're not that far from us. You're not that far from us, Michael. I don't know exactly, but... We are experiencing, like, it's probably, I don't know, maybe 74 or 75 degrees right now here. And it's been yeah. very cool the whole, you know, spring and on into summer. I mean, we're getting days that are going up. I think it's supposed to go up to 85 today. But, you know, this morning it was in the high 60s. And uh, wow, really quite quite cool and quite unusual. Yes, my understanding is there's this big dome over the central part of the states, 
and it's causing a big drought. So the wheat, corn, and soy crop are in jeopardy. And I guess that is affecting Texas. I'm in northeast Texas, about an hour from the Arkansas border, an hour from the Louisiana border. Right. I haven't had time to even look at what's going on in the rest of the state, but if it's this warm here, I'm guessing it's even warmer down in the southern part of the state. Well, holding you in cool breezes and yes, safety. These are they're, they're dangerous temperatures for outdoor. Yeah, being outdoors. that's giving me a little bit of right now to be able to be inside. And so... Here we are, but I, I did have one quick question, and Please. I think you answered it a little bit ago, but of course, I'm, even though I'm listening, I'm distracted with other things going on here, but I, one question I've had for a while is, I'll notice myself personally that I'll be doing something, whether it's working outside, <clears throat> washing the dishes, and I'll notice I'm holding my breath, and I'm thinking, what in the world? And, of course, I'm more cognizant of, of that thing since being exposed to you all and the work. <clears throat> and I think I heard you say earlier that is because I'm trying to repress something that I don't want to bring to the surface. Is that correct? Or please expound. Well, Remember that, uh, let's imagine we've got a scale that goes from zero to 100 in vitality. Mm -hmm. If somebody's at 100 vitality, there is no energy in that person's system that they can hide from themselves. There's nowhere for it to hide. The energy's moving through it. The energy's flowing. There's no restriction. In order to dissociate in order to hide content from self, one has to lower the vitality of the system. Hmm. One of the fastest ways to lower the vitality of the system, in fact, it lowers the vitality so fast that within five minutes you're dead if you do it. And that's holding the breath. Hmm. And so if you observe, and I would suspect, you know, the fact that you've been doing this work now for the last couple of years, that you're simply becoming more and more conscious of your breath. You probably haven't changed your pattern, or, or if anything, it's probably improved, but you're starting now to become more cognizant of when you are holding your breath. And as you allow yourself to just get more and more conscious, and recognize when you're not breathing and, and allow yourself to take a breath and become aware of what's moving and you pay attention on the subtlest levels of what's moving. And as you do, you'll find what you've been hiding from yourself and there's where your next piece of work is. Okay, so just stop and try to pay attention to the body then. Pay attention, that's it. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. Yeah, it was quite an experience, and this goes back some months. I've been I've been working at being more observant of it, 
But it was quite a shock when I first realized I'm holding my breath. And, and you know, could be mowing the yard, feeding the animals, whatever. There's nothing I can put my finger on just when I'm doing this particular task or that. It's 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 all range of activity, and I was just wow, I'm holding my breath. So. Well, what you're describing, what I hear you describing is, it's been a long-standing habit, and mm-hmm. there doesn't need to be a particular stimulus. You know, most people start holding their breath very early in life when there's a stimulus that resonates pain. If they don't have the tools to deal with the pain, then holding the breath becomes habitual. When when that's not enough, you know, as I described in that video, uh, let me may I be frank. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's when you've got the brain cells for it, and you watch this, and this is this is just a spontaneous live video that they're doing of processing with this family, and it's so it's such a dramatic scene for me to watch how. You know, you can just watch this. His former wife starts to speak in a way that violates his goals, and you can just watch his rage just start to go through the roof. And when rage isn't enough, that's when people turn to a drug. And he literally springs up. I mean, the very instant that happens, he literally springs up off the couch and goes for the refrigerator. And then, of course, he realizes there are no drugs left there. Yeah. The alcoholic, Amazing. the food addict. These are ways to shut down vitality so that one doesn't have to look and one doesn't have to deal with their lives. You know, how deeply disastrous is it? Well, take a look at the number of people that are dying from opioid overdoses. It's just a symptom of exactly the same thing. I don't want to deal with my life. I don't want to feel. So willingness as you, and using the tools opens to where it becomes safe to breathe all the time. I can stay at full vitality all the time because there's nothing that I need to hide from myself. What a, what a beautiful feeling when I recognize it and take those nice deep breaths afterwards. Oh, yeah. So, wonderful. It's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. Wonderful. And we are designed to breathe. And, you know, <clears throat> there are all kinds of theories about why, you know, the breath works. But in the last analysis what I believe is really going on, if we go back into the Aramaic scriptures in the creation story where we're told by the Greeks that the words say God sent out his spirit, it doesn't say that. It says the creator sent out its breath. It's our direct connection to the creator. And the denial of the whole breath, the ability to breathe fully, is the denial of the Holy Spirit in in churchianity's terms. It's literal. I mean, it's literally yeah. physiological. It's not some kind of theological thing about some kind of spirit being. It's literally the very core of our lives. So yeah, joining you in the willingness to breathe, and the show's going to cut us off in a minute or so, but we'll just go right to completion and 
see what other thoughts come up. Well, so appreciate you all, and nice to connect, although short. I miss those times when I had a lot more flexibility. But well, nice holding you in coolness, my friend. Thank you. It's going to be another interesting week, but we'll, uh, we'll hold space that this whole area of the country can get some reprieve and some, and some rain up in the Midwest. Yes. Yes, take care of yourself, my friend. Thank you. We'll be in touch, and and thank you all again. Okay, lots of love and blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Blessings. Bye. And and real quickly, just a reminder that this Thursday, the book club is going to be doing A Course in Miracles, and you'll be doing a question and answer after you watch. I think you're going to do What is the World this week? What is the World? That's the video we're doing on Thursday at uh, 3.30 Eastern Time. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Blessings. Bye-bye.